in this episode of the Hey Partisan podcast. Like two raptors in air pummeling to the ground <laughs> in a death grip. <laughs> I mean, we have the internet. We have so many different viewpoints. Why are we absorbing news format from these limited sources? There is almost no ability to negotiate with anybody anymore. A comment that Hillary made about women who stay home and bake brownies. You know, my mom, she thought Hillary was very arrogant. And he was using hypnosis techniques ah. and phrasing in his speeches. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just trying to get this eagle to stand out straight on my arm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we are here for the Hey Partisan podcast number one. I'm the host, Joey Prather, and this is our very first podcast. We're really excited to start digging deeper into the U.S. political landscape, where the BS is, where the fake news is, where the truth is, and how people and their opinions are changing. We're going to highlight regular people from all walks of life who want to have real down-to-earth discussions about politics and life. Today, we have Nicole Lee and Mary Claire Whitaker. And they are both Virginia natives, is that right? Or have mm-hmm. both lived in Virginia at some point? But I will turn it over to Nicole and Mary Claire and let them say a little something about themselves. Mary, you're in someplace exotic and fantastic, so you go first. <laughs> okay. I am from Virginia originally. Um, well, my family's, my family's from there. I was, a, I was an Air Force brat growing up, but I spent a long time in Virginia. But now I live in Mexico City. Um, I'm an international business development consultant. I've been here for eight years. Very cool. Well, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, go Steelers. And uh, I went to school in Washington, D.C. And after school, moved kind of all over the country, back and forth from the West Coast, but ended up settling in Virginia. And I'm in uh, Leesburg, right outside of D.C. now. Nice. Very cool. I'm glad to have you both here. So what makes America a great country? I love... <laughs> Come on, Air Force. Come on, Air Force brat. You got an answer for that? I'm like, sorry. I'm just trying to get this eagle to stand out straight on my arm. Um, <laughs> Can you see the wall from your house? <laughs> um, I. This is probably one that we hear all the time. is really obvious, but I love its diversity. Um, Mexico is a really diverse place too, but I mean, the U.S. is just like, yeah, so so many people from all over the world. I mean. Um, it's it's something that I've thought about more with um, as I've kind of started to understand globalization. It's kind of maybe one of the U.S.'s. It's like something that people we're still getting our heads around. But I mean, I think that's that's the most amazing thing about it. If we're such this such a diverse country, why can't we get our political act together? Why is it so one-sided and then the other? Right? Why during the Obama administration is one side squawking and squawking, and then now that Trump's elected, the other side is just complaining to no end. I mean, I'll take that one. I I think, you know, we're very diverse, but we also are extremely atomistic in our our love of drilling down to the smallest minutia in what makes us all diverse. (laughs) And so you end up having teams. I've always been a Steelers fan. I always will be, but I'm not one of those people who will make fun of other teams. So you know, we, we have to get to a place where instead of uh, the ideology or marketing, we actually look at concrete facts. And so what is going to benefit the most amount of people 
at any given time? That's a difficult question. I'm not saying it's an easy thing to answer. And I'm a solution-based person. I like action and solutions. Um, but it's difficult when you've been caught uh, like two raptors in the air pummeling to the ground <laughs> in a death grip. <laughs> I love that we have eagles on Mary and I with already. our patriotism. Um, but you know, we those 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 raptors have to unlock. You know what I mean? And we're yep. kind of in this death grip of you're right, I'm wrong. And that's not what democracy is about, at least my version or what I remember reading and, and learning in school is that it really is based on some negotiations and compromise and compromise. Everybody loses a little a little bit. Right. But then mm -hmm. everybody wins at the end. I gave a little you gave a little and everybody walks out with, you know, a happy feeling. But that, that's not what's happening. There, there is almost no ability to negotiate with anybody anymore. And it's it's yeah. kind of a bummer because that's like a fundamental business philosophy that we have in this right. country. What about the media? Um, you know, because media is speaking more and more toward their core audiences, right? And I swear when I watch CNN and when I've actually started watching Fox News a little to study it a little, yeah. they are driving the discussion a lot. When I watch CNN, I see the guys in the back room thinking, all right, if we run this story, we're going to get a lot of views on this, as opposed to constructive news or kind of old-fashioned news, which is just the facts, ma'am, right? right. Um, but when you see CNN going on and on, speaking to their base, Fox News doing the same, are we captive of them? I mean, I think that cable, I mean, for, first the fact that, you know, cable news, which has been dissected, they've got to fill 24 hours a day, but also just like cable, the utility is kind of very limiting. There's there's only like three channels that I actually watch. And I think that that whole structure is kind of, it's like imposing limitations on us. I mean, we have the internet, we have so many different viewpoints. Why do we only have, why, why do we go to CNN, Fox News, MSNBC? Why, why, why are they dictating or why are we absorbing news format from these limited sources? I think a lot of the people that watch CNN, Fox News, CBS, it, it, it's like a laziness. Uh, it's a comfort, comfort laziness, not saying it's anything wrong with it. But if you want to have a better worldview, I do BBC. You know, I, I try to find some other news sources that are just factual. NPR, to, to you know, whatever you feel about it, you feel about it. But it's usually journalism. Who, what, mm -hmm. when, where, why, how actual sources, mm -hmm. attributed sources. My new favorite is to see something in a news article that says, experts told me. Oh, did mm -hmm. they? Who are those experts? Mm -hmm. <laughs> to whom are right. you speaking of? Inquiring minds would like to know. <laughs> I saw even on AP News, I saw an article where they were talking about that the Trump administration was going to start using the National Guard um, you know, to enforce immigration policies. And there was no source No, they, they said it was a memo. And guess what? There's lots of memos yeah. that go out for lots of different things that yeah, don't I mean, ever happen. It was a draft even, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was a draft. So have we gotten to this point where that is able to be released? And in some ways, doesn't that kind of prove Trump's claims of fake news? Doesn't that kind of prove him right and embolden that claim? Uh, I don't know if he's entirely right. That's really a difficult pill for me to swallow. I, I mean, I think, yeah, I, I, I do think that, sadly, um, I don't know that most of what we're talking about right now outside of, you know, potentially BBC, NPR, and there was a, a really good meme that was going around that gave 
the dividing line between conservative news sources, liberal news sources, neutral news sources. And, and I was happy to see the BBC was in there because <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm on the right path. All right, great. Um, but because I don't think those other, those other outlets are news. I mean, do you really think that Breitbart is a news? I constantly tweet them when they have something nasty to say and go, you're so cute, hashtag news, question mark. I mean, <laughs> and how fitting is it that Breitbart is basically in the White House at this point, right? I, I didn't do this on purpose, but um, I subscribe to an establishment newspaper in Mexico City and that they've been trying to basically give us, the American people, credit um, for, you know, trying to correct uh, Donald Trump when he steers outside of feasible policy or desirable policy. So the, uh, there was a, a front page a couple days ago where, um, I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, General Kelly and Rex Tillerson were down here last week. And it was one shot of Donald Trump saying that deportation will be done as a military op operation, like his head with that quote. And then, and then Kelly saying the military will not be used. And then Sean Spicer saying he, he didn't mean military like yeah. that. And there were three next to each other as like the headline. And so they were just like, okay, what's going on? You know, yeah. it was good. And that gets back to that idea of a word salad, right? Yeah. That the administration's using, you know, that it's deliberate that they are being so confusing? Uh, you know what? I, I think he is uh, a classic uh, sales guy, marketer with a massive narcissistic personality disorder. And you've got the perfect storm when you have that. So if you read transcripts of his speeches, which I try not to watch them because they're almost unwatchable. I mean, it's just, I mean, I, it feels like you're living in an alternate universe. It, it, it's so crazy. The transcripts are unreadable, right? He uses the wrong words. He says, instead of talking, taken. I, I mean, my nine-year-old has better command of the English language than the president of the United States. And Seamus will tell you that, and he's quite proud of it. It's made his day. I don't necessarily know that it is a, a muddying of the waters. If, if Steve Bannon was out front, I would say he's smart enough. I right. don't necessarily know. I think these guys are winging it, man. I, I don't think that they're nefarious in a lot of what they do. They come from a business environment, which is drastically different <laughs> than what goes on in D.C. You can be Donald Trump and tell people to jump, doggy jump, and they all jump. But you, you can't do that in D.C. You've got... A, a court of reporters. You've got, yep. you know, rogue POTUS staff running outside the building to their burner phone to tweet. I mean, it's not going the way that he thought yeah. it was going to go. So, Mary, coming from an Air Force family, you know, what is it like to talk to your family members? Do they do they fall in the Trump camp? Are they conservatives that just said, OK, whatever, we have to vote for him because we're conservative? Like, how did it lay out? They don't like Trump. They think that he's trashy. Um, but uh, mm -hmm. the disdain for Hillary Clinton was uh, probably more powerful in, in both of their cases, to be honest. And so coming from, from that, the disdain, where does it come from? Because I have you know, my own issues with it, but I do think um, 
being a gangster, like a straight up killer gangster is what's necessary a lot of times in DC. So I didn't have a problem with some of it, but I had a problem with other things that she did. So where was that, that line in the sand for them? Um, I think in my mom's case, it, was, it probably goes back to the 90s. I mean, I, re- I remember when I was like 10 years old, her complaining about a cl- uh, comment that Hillary made about women who stay home and break bake brownies you know my mom stayed at home for a while anyway and she she resented it Mm -hmm. she just um has always thought that i mean she didn't like bill at all either but i think in particular she thought hillary was very arrogant hillary clinton tapped into some really base emotions um with i think with a lot of people and your mom and then that carried through for 20 years there was just that gut feeling but again, a feeling not based on I'm part of my party and I'll vote for this person because it's the rational thing to do. I think emotions were so high that uh, they're still running really high. And that's part of some of the issues that we're running into. When Joe, you first asked about why is diversity so difficult to navigate for us? I mean, I think one of the issues that I see on both sides, um, but especially with the Democrats, because maybe I try to understand their policies a little bit more um, just because of the types of things that I'm interested in. It seems like they try to tackle some really complicated issues without explaining them very well. Like, I mean, how long did it take the United States to get the fact that mandatory universal insurance for everybody had to do with risk management, you know, like that, that, that was never really communicated. So people like felt it was forced onto them. We do build up these big intellectual barriers as Americans against certain things, right? Up against some kind of collective health care, right? Or look at what's happening with the global warming discussion. It's that we still cannot just accept the body of scientific evidence out there that we, with all the styrofoam and plastic and cars, are actually moving the needle on our climate. You know, and it seems like a fairly basic thing, but there are still so many people out there that can't wrap their head around it, right? So we have this plausible deniability where we just won't look at these things. But Joey, do you think it also started with, I mean, let's go back as far as uh, Nixon, Mm -hmm. where we were a country that was very rank and file in we liked our authority figures. We loved our scientists. They got us to the moon. They blew up big bombs. They were winning wars. And then Vietnam happened. And then Nixon. Then Mm -hmm. You know, things are going sideways, right? And so now the authority figures don't seem to be having the authority. They don't have we all the thought answers. They did. Right. The erosion and we of didn't that have the answers, yeah. right? And right. now in the time of the internet, it's really difficult to, unless you, we all can sit here, and I think the three of us could on some level say, okay, this is the reality that we're starting with. Okay, we all agree that this is the base reality and the experts we would listen to. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I've been grappling with that, you know, thinking about centrism and moderate, you know, being a moderate. What does that really mean? And how I think 80 percent of us agree on probably about 80 percent of things. And I'm curious to see what you guys think of this. Right. So the model I've been thinking about is that basically we all know that we need a vibrant economy. We do need some measure of environmental protections. We need basic protections. To, pre- to prevent discrimination, right? We know that this is still an ongoing problem in terms of gender, in terms of orientation, in terms of race, in terms of religion. Um, at the same time, you know, everything is a balance, right? We need to promote a good economy. We need um, basic health care in place um, to control these costs. We need um, cities that work and infrastructure that works. 
Do you think that most of us agree on most of these things? Yeah, I, I saw something. Um, I've been I've been starting to follow a lot more conservatives on Twitter um, just to like balance it out. Um, and I, I started following uh, Senator Ben Sass. But he said something. I think it might be even his bio. He says that um, most Americans don't want to think about politics, right? They they just want things to work. I mean, we're all to, you know jumping and joining in the fight now because uh, we're a lot more engaged because of what's been happening. But I mean, in general, most people prefer to think about their day-to-day -day stuff. So I think, yeah, I mean, what you're saying that that the country functions is, I mean, why why is that so hard to debate? Well, I do think too that that sounds great, but similar to we can all agree on that, and then here comes the roadblock. No one has a solution, or if they have a solution, it doesn't involve real math real science, well, real facts. We're not even having those discussions yet, right? Yeah, no, you can't. We're just having these wars of ideology, right? right? Like you said earlier, there's no desire to compromise. None. So, So as soon as one party's in office, the other party just complains and complains while the other m makes small gains. And then you flip it back over. And listen, it brings out the child, the rebellious, I hate authority child. I mean, I have to stop myself from yelling at the TV when I hear a Republican senator say stupid stuff like, well, they won't work with us. What's wrong with them? And I just start screaming. I'm like, I'll never be your friend. You were mean to me for four years. You know, that kind of thing. I understand that childish behavior. I think, you know, we all could feed into it, but. My God, man, you, you are representatives of our government. Could you act older than my nine-year-old? Sure, sure. That'd and be so awesome. Much of this is, yeah, and so much of this is emotional. Was Obama being elected president? Was that in some form a revolution? Was that a revolution in this country? And I think it is, and it was, because it was this radical acceptance of someone who is not that traditional authority figure. You know, not just his the color of his skin or his background, but his mannerisms, right? He was a cool guy you know he was someone i would like to play basketball with someone <laughs> i would love to have a beer with you know and he presented himself like that right and at some point is that did that cause some kind of haywire like this is not the face of our country this just isn't well you know, is i that think it's a pendulum supporters joey it's yeah. the pendulum right so yeah. the people that eight years ago were the hilariously used again you know this this election term, the forgotten, the people right. that aren't heard, you, you know, it's hilarious, all the snowflakes, you know, it doesn't matter if you're minority or white or brown or purple or blue, I guess you're unheard. Yeah. You should start yeah. a blog, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> um, but, you know, that pendulum to the conservatives swung way to way. the left. But I, my hope is in life, when you've got that pendulum swing, that eventually it, it ends up back in the middle. When I hear the term flyover states, you know, there's part of me that gets really offended. You know, I'm from a flyover state. I know mm -hmm. lots of really good people from flyover states. And, you know, I'm in the middle of that book, Hillbilly Elegy, you know, the yeah. J.D. Vance book that's got all this attention. And it is great. And it's and there's really something to that. These people who themselves feel completely disempowered, they look around their towns, they look around their neighborhoods, and it's a really bleak picture, right? They might be unprepared for the kind of opportunities that are around them or not around them, uh, unwilling or unable to get to places where there are jobs that could help. And there's a lot of despair. And we know the opioid epidemic is huge in these towns. And just on a really basic level, is that 
what the Trump voter heard. Hey, this guy, as much as he's a billionaire, but he gets me. He's talking to me at least, right? He's giving me some kind of representation. Is it really that basic or what what else is there? Well, I'll let Mary talk about it too, but I, I do think it's that basic. I mean, I think, and maybe it's because I know a lot of people who voted for Trump, I I believe that they weren't necessarily, they weren't voting for him, they were voting against Clinton. And, yeah. and, and it, so it wasn't that the, he appealed to them, but yeah, they felt overlooked, flown, flown over. Yeah. How much is it, it's like, you know, when you see a good concert and the opening band just is so good, you would never want to follow them, right? right? And I'm not saying Obama was a perfect president, but he had that allure. He had that likability, right? You have to understand, too, though, he, it, it, there's lots of that, Joey. But as someone who thought I was a pretty liberal Democrat, there are things that I now realize I'm super moderate because even those liberals didn't realize that Obama deported more than any other president mm-hmm. in deportations. Mm-hmm. And they just kept their marketing super, super on the DL. So there were a lot of uber conservative Republican-esque things Mm -hmm. that President Obama did that did not get publicized probably for a reason, right? And so much of this is signaling, right? What did he signal? What was his message, right? And it wasn't this tough on crime, restoring law and order, right? But at the same time, he was quietly Quietly doing doing it. So, and I think that's okay. You know what I mean? I don't want to get into the semantics of it, but that is a little bit of a compromise, right? How the sausage gets made, right? Right. And you're also, as the president, which is at this point, I think the most ridiculous position, you know, it's a stage. It really is a stage. It is a show. And now we have the king of reality TV shows as the, as the lead actor in that show. With Bannon and his dooming. Oh my God, dude. He, he. Bannon scares me more than anybody because he really is not dumb. <laughs> he's a mastermind. Yeah, he really he, he's pretty he's pretty smart about the way that he uses the media, people, ideas. He's very clear in articles saying that he wants dark, like a hundred percent dark out on information. Totally, it it is truly creepy. And speaking of creepy, Stephen Miller for me carries. Ugh. Torch. When I saw that that compilation of him on the Sunday news shows a few weeks back, I mean that is a true believer. Yeah. To the point where it's it just kind of chills the spine a little bit. Well, and it's a testament to Trump that he is the the emperor with no clothes. So he has put people around him um, who are borderline, you know, as juvenile emotionally and mentally as he is. So he's tap dancing. There's nothing happening. So, Mary Claire, in Mexico City, in the newspapers, what are they saying about the wall? Oh, um, I mean, that there already is a wall. <laughs> I know. Isn't it funny? <laughs> that there and is and one. the places where they want to build a wall, there's already tunnels going underground that Chapo built to smuggle drugs anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> they think it's stupid. They're used to, like, our... <laughs> I love that. They're like, you guys are cute. That's really yeah. funny. I mean, yeah, they're just right. like, as long as you don't try to make us pay for it, fine, whatever. <laughs> What, what about some of the trade deals that he, he thinks he can renegotiate? Is that even 
feasible? Well, no, yeah, I mean, Mexico, the U.S., and Canada have wanted to update NAFTA for a long time. Um, there's a lot of things that can be improved in it. I mean, you were talking about truckers before. It took it took the United States 20 years to let Mexican truckers cross the border. And there's still, like, they have to get special permits and stuff like that. And that was blocked because of Teamsters, incidentally. It was, it was part of the trade agreement, mm -hmm. but it just was um, stalled forever. But, yeah, I mean... The, the economy's changed since 1992, 1994. So I, I, they, yeah, I think I think that it should be renegotiated. Um, but you know, it just it, it the the line is it has to be made better. It can't be only favorable to one party. So right, and I think that's maybe where we're going to start to run into some problems with. Well, you know what? Maybe not though. If he's easing off of some of the immigration stuff because he yeah. put his toe in the water. Um, and this is what the pattern that I'm finding fascinating to see, uh, and I think this is partially Bannon too, is let's just have a full-blown throw a giant pile of shit at the wall and see see what yep. the result is. Who gets mad? Who? How many courts does it go to? Okay, and he is like a tally. They have a tally. All right, well, it did this. It did that. Yeah, nobody liked it. Okay, all right, now let's go this way. Um, I heard somebody on a podcast, who was it? Oh, the guy that does Dilbert, Scott Adams. I didn't know this about Scott Adams. First of all, he doesn't vote. So when he said he thought Trump would win, it was based on observational things, not that he was voting. And the observations that he was making were from he, he went to like hypnotist school when he was younger. And like, he's so interesting, right? So he watched Trump talk and he was using hypnosis Techniques ah. and phrasing in his speeches. Not surprising at all. That repeating the same words over and over, giving you the word and the visual. So crooked Hillary. Every time she says it and you just repeat it, it's pattern training. When I train dogs, this is this is pattern training, right? You give the treat, you get the action. Do the action, treat, 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 treat. So, I mean, he's doing it to people who, who aren't aware that it's happening to them. And they're still chanting "lock her up" at the the well, weird rally he had in Florida. Well, it feels good to get upset. Right? You know? <laughs> it feels good. Yeah, yeah. But it's ingrained at this point, right? Make America great again. The yeah. hat's red. There's four words. It sounds great sure. rolling off the tongue. Well, but you talked about it. They don't want to be involved in politics. I don't want to be involved in politics. I, I say thank you to every uh, yeah. military member I see. I don't want those jobs. I don't want to do them. I think I could be a sniper. I'm pretty good at the shooting range. Uh, Nicole, I think you'd be an excellent I, sniper. I go to work. I want to walk my dog. I want to have fun with my friends. I want to get my kid to and from school and let him have fun. Like, I don't want to have to be a politician on top of all the other hats that we wear. But it seems like we don't have a choice anymore. Oh, yeah. We're all in this, right? And speaking of sniping, um, <laughs> Democrats, I have plenty of Democrat friends, and, you know, they it's their best hobby is taking pot shots at Trump. Can you believe what he said? And look, he sets us all up for this, right? What is the answer to push back against Trump, really? You know, because look, it's easy to complain. And a lot of people are doing a lot of complaining about this, right? But what is going to be a progressive platform that moves a needle, right? I think everyone is getting yeah. really tired of identity politics. Have we taken that a little too far? Yeah, I, I'll tell you my answer to that. Um, I have not personally had anyone asked me to call them Zim or Zir or Zer. 
uh, or twinkle toes or anything of that nature. My, my opinion is you could do whatever you want. It doesn't matter to me. I love you. You're a human being. However, there are laws now. That's a reasonable. It's that's a reasonable a, thing. A reasonable and, but, it, but if you're going to get sticky with me, then I'm just going to call you by your first and last yeah. name. I call it the Joey Diaz method. Right. Like, have you ever heard Joey talk nice. to anybody? He's like, Joe Rogan. Duncan Trussell. Joe Rogan. <laughs> Every time he says a person's name, he says their full name. So I'm not going to use pronouns yeah. anymore. Yeah, and then I'm just going to use your full name. There was an article in the LA Weekly about the movie La La Land and how it was a propaganda film and how racist it was underneath it because Ryan Gosling is white, was a jazz purist, and John Legend was you know, set up as the, the jazz guy who sold out. And so that it was inherently okay. racist. Oh. And it just it – was, it was impossible to take. And it's, at some point, it's just too much, right? Like I, I have a very similar attitude to you. I really don't care what your personal choice, choices are. I don't care what your orientation is. I don't care what the color of your skin is. It's like let's just get on with it, right? And look, some people do have difficulties with that, and it is a problem, and we do have play, a lot of room for improvement as a culture, right? But at some point, yeah. what else – can be on the Democratic platform besides that. You know, there has to be a bigger Do you think if the Democrats started talking more about economics in solid factual information, had Cokie Roberts, like she did before the ACA came out and it was like completely different, but she did like a whole half hour on PBS with like visuals and charts and pointers and did like a huge explanation. If we, if the Democrats could do that with economics, like job infrastructure, do you think that would give them a leg up over the Republicans who are just sort of these marketing tagline idea guys? Um, maybe not on PBS if they could find. Um, I mean, <laughs> well, that'll be gone. So yeah, I mean, I love PBS, but I, I, they, and you mentioned I think that there needs to be they need to figure out how to communicate with the public, um, not through cable. Not I mean. There needs to be some way to get this information out. Um, public education, perhaps, if, if that survives, right? Yeah. <laughs> that, that survives, right? Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, of bears, grizzlies. Right, grizzlies. Watch the grizzlies. And I, I mean, I think that, um, you know, the things that identity politics, politics seek to protect um, still need to be protected. I think that um, they just need to find it different way to do it. It's kind of insulting to people's intelligence. I mean, I get why people uh, lashed back against PC. I mean, like, if you don't understand, if you think affirmative action is giving somebody who is less qualified than you your job because of their skin color, that's that's incorrect. I mean, the people who originated the policy sh right. need to maintain the message that we all benefit from diversity, right? And that you Sometimes you have to artificially mm -hmm. create diversity because right. our system has been unfair historically. I mean, right. those are, I mean, those, that's not yeah. that hard of a message, right. but right. for some reason, half of the country doesn't understand it. Well, and Joey and I had talked previously, I, I mean, I think part of that, the identity politics too, um, and the super, super liberal side are people that are, are in their 20s. I was very staunch and very individual and no one is as special as I am and I've got the best ideas yep. because you know I've only been to like three cities and I'm in college <laughs> it's that Bernie Sanders joke from SNL <laughs> right he said I have the biggest support across the U.S. of 19 year olds that's right 
and, and you know, they don't have a job. They don't have any stress. I'm not saying they don't have stress, right? But I'm saying like in the scope of as you get older and there's things going on. It's a great time in your life. I'm not to trying to act audience. like an old lady. Yeah. Um, I sound like one a little bit. But, you know, I think there is a quality to being young and having that type of energy to be that aggressive. I mean, I watch some of those kids and I'm like, oh, my God, you are exhausting me. I need a glass of wine <laughs> right. and to like go hang out. Jeez Louise. Um, but, but, but I think what Mary said is true is that we already have a lot of these laws in place. If they aren't, then we need a law. We don't need to have, uh, groups of people telling other groups of people how they should talk. It's one of the fundamental problems I have with both sides of fundamentalist ideology that's going on, on the left and the right. Yeah. Extremism on either side, right? We live in America. I, I got to be born here in the greatest, freest place on the planet. Not Kenya, not Congo, not France. Like here, where you don't get to tell me how to be a girl or a woman or what I should be doing or how I should talk to people. Like none of that matters. I can deal with the consequences. So I choose to be appropriate and lovely and be friends with people. Yeah. But, there you go. Go to the grocery store. Same right. Line, have a I nice have that choice, but I don't like fundamentalists on either side telling me as somebody who has done a lot of life, I've, you know, I've done pretty well for myself and my child, uh, mostly by myself, you know what I mean? And then with the help of my mm -hmm. friends and family, but I don't really understand how that person thinks they have the right to tell me what to do or what to think. And we live in America. It's so foreign to me because <laughs> I would never tell them what to do. I'm like, you want to do five wives, be Amish and not wash. Go do that. Be you. If it makes sense for yeah. you guys, do go that. Go for Please. it. Please. Please go. America. 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 See, we got the eagles are flying. The condors are back. I'm basically wrapped in an American flag at this point. <laughs> All right, so I have to bring up one of my favorite people. She's not one of my favorite people, but I do think she's getting a really, really unfair shake. And don't hang up the phone. It's oh. Betsy DeVos. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I watched this South by Southwest EDU conference she gave a few years ago. And she is so she's, – she's sharp. She's a subtle thinker. She talks about the fact that she was born a billionaire, that she's a, a one percenter. She even references the fact, hey – I'm a conservative. Keep listening. Keep listening. You know, so she understands like the strikes against her, right? She understands that she's an outsider, but her very basic message that I think is getting really overlooked here is that, look, public schools have been in business for a long time. In some places they work very well. In many places they work really not well at all, right? And is it the school's fault? Is it the teacher's fault? Is it the community? Is it society? We can, de you know, we can debate that, right? What I really am having a problem with is that a few years ago, charter schools and school choice was not a political issue. It was more a progressive idea that people on both sides of the aisle in certain cities were embracing, right? And sometimes with good results, sometimes without good results. Last year, there's a great Boston Globe article that talked about when this became a political issue. All of a sudden, it became this hot-button issue. All of a sudden, DeVos, she can't say one word without getting attacked. And look, when she talks about you need guns in school because of grizzly bears, 
Okay. I will laugh right, along good. with I'm you. glad we can establish right. that. But, we, but, yes, on that. But when she talks about public schools are a closed system and that if you're a rich parent, they can move or they can take their kid to private school. If you don't have a ton of money and you live in a crappy school district, what can you do? Right? So that's, I think that's a valid viewpoint. I think that needs to be heard. I think it needs to be discussed. And I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Here's one of the issues that, again, we're talking about adult presentation. So you saw that. My question is, did she write that speech or did someone write it for her? And then sure. the biggest issue I have with her is that every job interview I've ever gone on, I have looked at the company website, found out who is running the company, what are their uh, charitable giving. I've done my research. If it's a topic where I kind of maybe mm-hmm. fudged a little bit on my resume, I figure out all sure. the buzzwords and you know what's going on with that topic. She walked into those hearings with what I perceive, and it's my perception only, as many of the people have that Trump has appointed with a sense of entitlement and zero preparation. You and I both know what IDEA is and why that's important. Mm -hmm. Why does Betsy not know the information and can't speak to it? Why did she not prep for that question? They said on the news, again, maybe it was fake news, that they had all the appointees holed up in some hotel being drilled for hours on end on possible questions. How were basic educational laws not part of that drilling? Was Kellyanne doing it? I mean, who's running it? But what about the underlying issues? Like, what about school choice? Is should that be something that we get beyond the hell? No, I'm not for school choice. I'm on the left. Yeah, I I think that you're going to run into some of the articles that I've read. have talked a lot about those charter schools. And again, I don't know if it's in one city or if it's in multiple cities where the choices got to be so vast, but the regulations on the actual education mm-hmm. were almost zero. And results really vary. Really, really vary. As far as I'm concerned, she's a figurehead. Uh, she probably doesn't really know what she's doing, but there are people within that structure that should have some ideas. Maybe she's willing to listen to them and get some new and better ideas rolling. That would be my only hope. Yeah, that's been my read on her. That I mean, she seems to want to learn and do a good job, yep. um, regardless of how bad her prep might have been. It just might have been she was you know, working with the wrong people to prepare, mm-hmm. which is possible. What is her fundamental, does she have like a philosophy on the role of the federal government in, in public education? Because that, I mean, it seems like something that like a conservative would want to cut back on as much as possible. So are, are they exploring like uh, ensuring a minimum baseline by maintaining right. public schools? Or yeah. are they willing to just let I think they wanted to get rid of all that standardized stuff that they do now. Yeah. But at the same time, as she's bolstering charter schools. I mean, how is she okay with the public schools getting shut down, basically, which is what's going to happen, right? I mean, right. And then so this is why it doesn't make any sense and why she's going to have to catch up mustard and figure out a, a better message and really get some education on the public school system, because I don't think she has any education on the public school system. So but I, I think she has a long haul. Um, and yeah. I, I, you know, I have a, a child with a special education with IEP. So I, I really need to watch her. I don't think it'll change fastly in the next year or two. But that's always the, uh, the, you know, that's, it sneaks up on you. It's those things that are going to sneak up. And then all of a sudden people go, what do you mean there's no more special education? 
likewise, I have a son yeah. you know, who, you know, we have a committee of six, six teachers and vice principals to, to monitor him, you know, because of his condition. And that's the last yeah. thing you'd want to see, right, is those kind of that attention that has been so impressive and such a surprise. You know, when you hear these things about public yeah. education, to see the dedication yeah. of these teachers, of these administrators, of these therapists that are at school when things are working right. Right. But it's it's this case when how do we address these massive wrongs? And I think this would be a great follow up show to do, you know, with experts in the in, in the educational field. Right. From all sides and really get deep into this because I think where we are as a country wrapping our head around this is taking pot shots at DeVos, right? But we're now just starting to talk about some of the actual underlying issues, right? And so for me running this podcast, this is this is a win already, right? Because we're at least now talking about some of these things. Yes, it can be tricky to to give more school choice because yeah, what happens if the schools close or, you know, resources go away from that. How do you manage this? Right. Well, and it really is for the rich. I mean, I don't, you know, I am not rich by any imagination, but I make, you know, more than most people around me. And I cannot given the tax credits that exist today. Right. So there's not like a specific in, in Leesburg or Loudoun County that I have been able to find like a, for special education, like a charter system. Um, but there is a way through his, uh, through the special education, uh, system where if I felt like Seamus wasn't getting the uh, services met or things of that nature, I could petition to have him pulled out and I would have partial tuition reimbursement at a specialty school. Okay, well, the specialty schools for Seamus's IEP would cost me $24,000 a year for third grade. Wow. And, the, and the county would pay like 5000 of that. Well, now we're out. I'm done. I, I got nothing but public school. I mean, and I tried to enroll him years ago in a private school and just, I couldn't justify based on the money versus the services that I would be able to get through the public education system that is a good public education system with a fantastic special education department. There's just no, you know, again, I don't know who it's for, Um, but but there should be a way if we don't just say, oh, well, it's just going to fix itself. Teachers should work harder. Mm -hmm. No, I can't. They can't. They cannot work any harder than the teachers that I see. Like I throw money, I throw Ziplocs, anything they need. I'm like, please do not buy these. I will go get them for you. Exactly. Just give it to me. How many kids can't afford it? Great. I'll buy all their stuff too. Like, I don't care. I don't ever want those teachers because I know it's right there on the county website. If anybody who's listening to this, it's like a mystery what your teachers make. Go to your county website, go to what teachers make, and oh, yeah. you can see exactly what your teachers make, and it's not much. Absolutely. And it's not just one or two excellent teachers that I've experienced with my three kids. You know, it's 90% of Absolutely. And teachers. I couldn't agree more here in on the other side of the country. You know what I mean? And they do that for yeah. every child that they see all day long. Right. So are we expecting too much of teachers? You know, teachers cannot cure all the ills of our society. Yes, I think we do. I run into often... Um, at my meetings uh, with his teachers, the they look at me like I have seven heads because I say things like, okay, well, what are you guys doing? Because I want to replicate that at the house so that we can maintain consistency. And, and because I haven't yelled at them or said, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you fixing him? I, I would never say that, first of all. So I don't know who is, but a lot of people are. A lot of parents are saying those things. Somehow I'm like the Dalai Lama of moms and I'm so not. 
and it's so true. My cousin is a vice principal at an elementary school in a pretty bad district in Louisville, Kentucky. And he gets that all the time, right? The parents don't really want to be involved. A lot of them don't want to really be involved. And when they do, it's, what is wrong with you? Why are you doing this to my kid? Or somehow feeling wrong from these people that are dedicating their lives to helping these kids. Yeah, just like valuing education. Um, I, that was taken for granted in my family. You know, it's like that's talking about pulling yourselves up by your bootstraps. That's that's what education is, right? Mm -hmm. Where is that falling? Why why aren't people getting that message? Well, and I think too for America, that runs into a couple of different cultures in America. Um, you know, and, and Joey can talk about that with the hillbilly elegy, but, you know, lack of valuing education as a way to escape your situation. My understanding is that it's part of, of honor cultures. Um, and so that would be, you know, predominantly the South or inner cities, uh, minorities, mm -hmm. sort of that. No, you don't need to learn. But if you call me uh, a bad name, we're going to have problems. And I need I need a good job for a good pay and I'm good to go. I don't need any of those books. And, and so that's even more than public education. That's a cultural fundamental difference in people that live in the United States because some do not have that culture. I didn't grow up in that culture. So it's, uh, it's foreign to me to not understand that books and knowledge take you anywhere you want to go. 100%. And I think, you know, I think the three of us here have done a really good start of modeling difficult discussions that are relevant that get beyond he said she said can you believe what the president did and how to move the needle in terms of really doing something that makes a difference here right yeah i mean at some point too joey like i've had to say even to um friends like you know listen would you make fun of a child with special needs like no mm -hmm. so stop like stop talking about him Stop talking about Trump and what he, you know, you know, he's special needs. Like we got to move past it. You can't make fun of him anymore. Like it's not funny. It's not really fun. It's like kicking a little kid when they're on the ground. <laughs> like we, we have to kind of move the, move the conversation past his ridiculousness and, um, and, and kind of get down to how can we fix it? Who do we write? How do we create laws? I don't know. Let's find out. <laughs> and how we encourage people to have rational discussions with people that they might. Because we're not all people. Everybody can have a nice conversation. Come on, you know what I mean? Like it's it's really hard for me to believe that if you started talking about the weather and the roads, and then you got into the topic, or hey, I have that hat too, or I mean, there's lots of things that human beings can connect about. And so I think that it's, if it's one-on-one, -on -one, it really should be possible to have that conversation. I think where we get caught up is that we see on the news, um, to Mary's point, cable news specifically, the drama of two people that are not actually having a conversation. They are just talking at each other with, a, with their marketing, right? And so, yeah, they're not saying what right. they really think. No. Like, what is your opinion, yeah. right? Don't yeah, they're spout just spouting their line. It's boring. It's so boring. Cable news combined with social media, you know, it's just these giant echo chambers that we listen to what we want to hear and we don't listen to what we don't want to hear, right? But yeah. I'm like Mary. I've like followed a lot of people on Twitter that are mm -hmm. uber conservatives. I followed Milo <laughs> um, Yiannopoulos for a long time. Um, but I, and you know, I try to w look at Fox. So like, I think all three of us have gotten that idea where it's not like I'm saying, oh, I gotta know, I gotta know the enemy. Well, no, I wanna understand what all of the marketing is. 
so that I can wade through it yeah. with my critical thinking hat. I'm going to put that on and then go read BBC right. Right. and then go look at the actual law, the pull that up from, you know, the Senate website or, oh, Paul Ryan says he has a plan. Let's go yeah. find it and then read the entire document, you know, and not take his bullet points and try to get in and see if there are actual mm -hmm. facts based in reality <laughs> behind any of those things. Right. What's the rhetoric and what, what's right. the, what are the details? Well, ladies, thank you for joining Mary Claire, thank you very Nicole. Much. Awesome. This has been a fantastic first podcast for Hey Partisan. I really thank you for your time. Dear listener, thank you for joining us for the Hey Partisan podcast. We'll do this every week or so. And if you'd like to be a part, we'd love to hear from you. Heypartisan at gmail.com. Visit us on Twitter at HeyPartisan. Talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors, even talk to your family about politics and what's going on. Thanks for listening. This is Joey Prather for the Hey Partisan podcast. Hey Partisan.